Hey, it's Tanika Bruce, also known as Coach Bruce or the Network Nurse. I'm a registered nurse, an author, a leader, a doctoral student, a wife, and a parent. Join me on this journey to discuss nurse X's and O's from nursing to networking. With my experiences, failures, and lessons learned in leadership, business, and sports, my hope is to positively impact your life by challenging you to chase after your goals with relentless pursuit. Let's aim to achieve success beyond your wildest dreams. We've been having a wonderful time. I'm here with Margaret Thompson, CRNA, RM, and we've just, you know, already today we had some challenges this morning, logging in and getting a chance to get to you guys. And I want to just talk about that. I want to just start with that because I mean, technology has changed so much in the last five years, 10 years. And I mean, you are a CRNA for how long? I've been CRNA for 38 years and I know about the changes from where we were using uh, pagers to using iPhones to writing the patient's information on a sheet of paper to going to a computer and logging in their blood pressures and all the things that go on with them while we're doing anesthesia. So yes, at 72 years old, I've learned a lot. I know I still have a lot more to learn and I might be interested and I might not. <laughs> well, you know, I think you've earned your right uh, to say that. And I think it's interesting because when you talk to our seasoned and veteran nurses, uh, you know, they always say, you know, I've contributed to, to nursing and uh, you never understand like, hey, I'm just, uh, I'm at this point, uh, it's a job. But, you know, when we get out of nursing school, it's amazing, at least for me, I was like, I'm gonna save the world mentality, right? And it's yes. like, you know, we have so much disease and we have so much uh, non-education and it's like, you wanna just help every single person yes. to save the world. Uh, so tell me, just tell me about, you went through the pages and all of that. Tell me about, you know, how has it been? How has it been to advance in that? You know, really, it has been good because like I say, back in the day, I started anesthesia school in 1981. Mm -hmm. And during that time, it was a pager. And you just heard the person speaking to you on a pager. You didn't see a face. You carried a pager. You clipped <laughs> it to your body when the doctors were wanting you to go to a room to do a case. You would just, it was kind of like the, 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 the phone where you didn't see a face. You just heard a voice and you go to room three to go do a gallbladder, da, da, da. And then when it came to writing the information, vital signs, blood pressure, all, all those kind of things, it was on a clipboard on a sheet of paper. And I guess uh, since maybe 10 years ago back, we now have iPhones where you can see the doctor talking to you if you want to, or for sure hear his voice. He rings your number, uh, Maggie Thompson. That's my nickname, Maggie. Go to your uh, room. Uh, the, then you start doing computers. You start, the computer was hooked up to the EKGs and the blood pressure machine. So as that patient's blood pressure was going every five minutes, you can look at a screen and see it happening. And so those are a lot of changes for some of us 
CRNAs that were around my age. We were having a hard time. The young people marched in there like, like what? And we looking at them, yeah, what? And right, so right. I had to get it. I gotten better with it uh, with the help of a six-year-old nieces who can come to your house and tell you, Aunt Margaret, all you have to do, and I say, little girl, <laughs> I don't want to hear nothing about all you have to do. Just right. push the button you want me to do and get Aunt Margaret on this. But it's come a long ways, and I got it. And I'm doing much better than I was. I just got an iPhone, or rather a regular flip phone back in the day, just mm -hmm. about 15 years ago, because I didn't want a phone. I said, y'all can call me at my house or whatever. But anyway, right. I'm better. And today was uh, some learning experience, right, um, right. a little painful at times, but mm -hmm. all is good. Life is good. Right. Is right. We could be doing worse than that. I'm good. Right. So right. I'm ready. Because we're I'm still, we're still in the um, better stages or better side of the bed, is like I say it, than, than the yes. people that we service. And so, you know, we're grateful to have you here. I know Thank that you. people all over the world will be listening and hearing this. So, you know, what I want to know, though, is with all the changes in technology and so forth, um, what do you think has changed in terms of care? Or do you feel that it's changed? I, I do feel it's changed. I feel that um, now with technology is so much speaking over an instrument. It used to be that we made rounds uh, when I was in working as a registered nurse. You made rounds. You actually go into the room and you talk to the patient. You literally sometimes would sit down and just talk to the patient. You might have a clipboard and an ink pen to answer questions, but you go, you get a chance to touch them. Now it's like you go in there with a computer and sometimes you're literally pushing the intercom to their room and asking them questions, you might not have seen them yet because everything is so technology. Um, it, 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 that's the thing, you, you don't get a chance to do the one-on-one, -on -one, eye to eye, let me touch you, that kind of thing. So those are the things that bother me because I'm that kind of person where I'm a touchy feely. I wanna look at your face. I wanna see what you looking like. Sometimes just what a patient can look like can give you some ideas of what is going on with them. Where if they're talking on the phone, they make them fake it out because you can't see their face. You can't see the tears rolling down their, their eyes, right, uh, down their right. face, out their eyes, you know, because they're talking to you. You may hear a sniffle. You don't know if it's a cold, are they really are crying because they're upset right. about what's going on with their uh, diagnosis, that kind of thing. So technology, yes, is good, but technology, once it goes down, you are done. You know, if you got to put some paper, the most you're going to have, your lead broke, your, you dropped your clipboard, or you made the wrong thing on a piece of paper, scratch it out and, get, and keep and it keep moving. moving. Keep moving. That's yeah. right. And I think that that's key because you have uh, nursing students all over the world you know, they come out of nursing school and I've heard so many times, yeah, I want to be a CRNA. And, um, you know, it's just that very thing that, you know, sometimes hard to grasp is that you need to have the basics. There's, there's, there's things that you just can't learn. You know, you're talking about doing the case studies and patient presents with, well, 
you know, what helped me tremendously, again, was the very same thing, was to touch the patient. Oh, I remember I have a patient like this, and that's what, that's how you learn. It's not, uh, and again, it's two different worlds right now. But to be able to patient present, well, how do they present and physically going there and seeing that patient because they know their body better than, you know, what some diagnosis says um, or, or what somebody has typed into a chart sometimes. So yes. how do you how do you feel that that has just the overall changed just nursing in general, not just CRNA, but nursing in general? I think it's changed nursing in general because of not that human contact. It's kind of like with this COVID where everybody had to be in their home. You couldn't do a lot of moving around. You, you sure couldn't shake hands anymore. You sure couldn't give a hug. It's something about that human touching. And um, my biggest thing, it was nothing for me to go in a room and simple as you would give a patient a bath now and so if you did that you were able to see if there was any marks there or was something going on or they're telling you about a, a lump or a bump you can see it with your eyes instead of being told about it and you were you nowadays you give the patient a package of wipes to wipe themselves down and that's it you know, we back in the day, we gave bed baths. I mean, where you clean the patient from the top of their head to their ears, to the matter in their eyes, to the ears, to just wiping them down. And as you're doing that, you're looking at them and you're talking to them and they're telling you things. They're telling you how I feel, or they may just be talking about a family member that they're worried about, but now you know why come they're quiet today when you go in that room, they've got other stuff on their mind. So it's just the personal human being touch to me. And I know that is not gonna change, but I personally, myself, even when I was doing anesthesia, I would ask the patient, how are you doing? Are you nervous about this? And if you are, tell me about it. I would just make those be my time so I can let them know, you're getting ready to have open heart surgery. I know you're scared. What can I answer you? You don't get that anymore. Everybody's in a hurry. Okay, you get ready to have your surgery. Okay, what are we gonna do? We're gonna get your blood pressure cup on, gonna da 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 da. I've had times when I've had patients come in my room and they are crying and I tell, everybody and i tell them and i've been doing it long enough where i can say what i can tell them everybody move away from the patient doctor so-and-so that means you too and that has happened and i have to get down and put my mouth to their with my mouth not on their ear but let them know all is well this is what we're going to do we're going to get your blood pressure we need to hook you to some monitors i'm going to give you some medicine make you a little bit more relaxed and we're going to get through this together it's going to be all okay close your eyes and trust me that i'm going to take good care of you and everybody in the room is going to do the same but we're going to give you a minute and i mean when i've said that from surgeon on they've respected me enough or i've done it enough they know how i'm going to take care of my patient everybody backs away from the table sometimes you have to do that a lot of times 
you can't if you're in a trauma, but even in traumas, if they're conscious enough, I do that same thing, not telling everybody to back up because at that point, everybody got to be on scene. But I'm in that patient, my hand is on their hand. My hand is on their cheek and said, we're going to get through this. We are, we know, all of us know what we're doing in here. We got you. Wow. you. That's, that's, that's so inspiring because you know, you do need that advocate regardless of whatever stage they're in, whether yes. it's surgical or not. And then just, that's such a key thing. Like, what do you, what do you tell uh, nursing students at that point that, you know, may be afraid to speak up or maybe have never even entered the profession before and here they go into this, you know, they want to help save the world, but um, in terms of that patient interacting and, and advocating for their patients, what do you say to them as they go into this field? I let them know, number one, this is a patient. Number two, we're here because of the patient. They are laying flat on their back. They're looking up at us. We're looking down at them. And remember, they are a patient, but they are a human being. You have to show some calmness. You have to show for sure some kindness. If it's nothing but holding their hand and letting them know, I'm here for you. If someone is in your arena and you find like they are rushing the patient and as they're doing that, hurrying up and getting the monitors on and they, the patient is, you can tell they're so tense, you have to just say in a respectful way, Hey, but guys, give me a minute. Let me get some more relaxing medicine into the patient. Give me a minute and then I'm gonna let you start putting that blood pressure cuff on and putting all the other things that you need to attach to the patient. But give us a minute. And you said in a calm voice, you said in a respectful voice. And uh, and then you have to, you know, I know that is the doctors are the captain of the ship, but I do know we as the nurses we are sailing on the same ship that he's the captain of. And so you have to get that in, in an understanding. And in my lifetime of, of, of uh, being in the medical field for, for 50 years, that's where I have had to be. At the beginning, it wasn't that easy. But as you have done it, and I know there are students who are, they're not going to be able to do that. But I just, this is what I teach them when I'm telling them, remember, this is a patient and they are scared to death. You are looking down at them and they're looking up at you and saying, please take care of me. And when you look down at them, you have a smile on your face to make them believe that you are. Right, that's, that's awesome. And I think that's something that we have to make sure that we don't lose sight of. I mean, we get um, sometimes in the, um, we start to just, get into the routine or habit yes. because it's our job, but ultimately yes. we have to, I think those words were key when you're saying we have to touch the patient. And um, yes. you know, my favorite author, Atul Gawande, I've heard him speak live and um, he goes into detail about, you know, how doctors don't touch the patients anymore. Yes. We sit with the computer, but ultimately by simply touching the patient, makes all the difference in the world 
and you don't think so, but you know, they almost have that you're touching me kind of thing. Yes. Yes. And it doesn't yes. matter if you're a, if you're a CNA and you know you're walking in the room and because this time works for you to give a bath, you know, don't come at three o'clock in the morning because that's what time is best for you. Yeah. You knock on the door and have respect and say, is yes. fine. And I think that that's so key, especially in our black community. And I really yes. want to touch on that because you are at a level that many nurses all over the world, especially our uh, black and brown nurses, and you are viewed you 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 hold the highest rank in terms of a nurse is concerned and so everyone is that patient to you everyone's looking up to you yeah i want you to share are. with me how you feel that uh, just your position and experiences have really um has changed and how you can empower black and brown nurses all over the world and share how we can just be better advocates for, for our own communities. I tell you, when I came into the nursing field in 1971, and I graduated in 1973, but before I got there, it was me and five other black nurses. We had to go to the counselors to tell them what we wanted to do in nursing school and this and that before we even got in, just really good, just even got in the door. We had one counselor who told all of us uh, black nurses, why don't you all consider LPN, licensed practical nursing, before you want to try the registered nursing, which is a higher position, because I feel like you all would do better starting out as from a nurse, start out with nurse's aid and then go to LPN and then hopefully you may can get into RN. We all got together and was and was talking and was said the same person told all of us that she didn't think that we could do this. So what we did is went to the director of nursing school, Isa Steg, who when we came into the building and she realized it was five of us black females, which that's never happened in history at the nursing school I went to, and that was Wesley Medical Center. We told her that, and she said, you all came here to become registered nurses. That is what you all will be. And we felt very good about that. And the next day when we came back to get our paperwork, Mrs. The, the, the I won't have to say her name, but the person who was our counselor, her office was open, her desk was cleared, and we found out she was gone. Ms. Mrs. Isa Stegg fired her on the spot for telling us that. And she was so, and Ms. Stegg was so happy to have us. So we, and we all graduated with honors. We had all great grades. We did very, very well. Uh, a lot of these same nurses are PhD, masters, CRNAs like I became, certified registered nurse and Methodist. And so we got through that. From there, I decided I wanted to become a nurse anethodist, a certified registered nurse anethodist. That was going to be two more years of schooling for anesthesia school. When I entered that school, I got accepted. I was the only African-American 
person in my class and it was 20 of us in a class. They took 20 at a time. And I was the only African-American uh, in the class and had my ups and downs, but no one made me feel belittled like the counselor did. They, during that time, it's in the eighties and they was looking for because they didn't see very many African-American, anybody in nurse anesthesia. I had great teachers, great doctors who wanted me to succeed and I did. Now you go from there to getting into now going to do your job because you're out of school, you've done very well, you're now ready to go to work, you're excited. And then you deal with people that are not used to seeing this color of a person saying to you, my name is Margaret Thompson. I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I will be doing your anesthesia today. And they look at you as if this, and they do say, well, where is the anesthesiologist? And I said, he's here. And they said, well, who's gonna be doing the anesthesia? And I tell them I am. And so you catch those kind of things where some looked at me uh, as if they were looking at a cow, looking at a new fence, but I kept my demeanor as being understanding. I got this. You've never seen this before in this city, in this hospital, and I get it. But eventually that got better. I mean, I can tell you stories of what I've dealt with for it to get better, but I have to say I had doctors and I'm telling you that believed in me, was rooting for me, and I was able to just go on with my years of anesthesia. I became the most popular nurse anesthetist amongst my colleagues that did not look like me. I put doctors, family members to sleep. I put doctors that were my bosses to sleep they trusted me, but I had to be that extra special better. Right, I had right. to read something two or three times and make sure I really got it. If I got questioned on a subject about you're getting ready to do open heart surgery, what is the medicines you're going to use and why are you using them? I had to practice the night before standing in the mirror, talking to one of my uh, big time doctors that is anesthesia and that's his specialty to match what he's asking me and even <laughs> if i amazing. fumbled i still had enough information to do it and i was trusted so i in 38 years i i i, I used to keep up with how many request cases i would get i kept a book but by the time i got to almost five six hundred over 38 years of and there may be more than that i just stopped writing them it was just the joy of knowing someone trusted me with their life from them personally as a surgeon, from the next door neighbor, from the lady down the street, because someone said, when you go have anesthesia, ask for Maggie. So those are the things that you have to maintain the kindness. And I continue to do that. It was nothing for me, whether you're a man or a woman, I've taken care of AIDS patients. You grab their hands and let them know I'm here to take care of you. I will be here with you from the beginning of this case to the end, and then I will be checking on you. It didn't matter who you were, what your skin was, boy, girl, transgender, I've dealt with it all. People that were mean to you because they're looking at you like, you're not gonna, I had one patient said, you're not, you're not gonna touch me. I've never had a black person touch me before. And you get through that. You let them know, 
I am going to take, if you just trust me, you have to just talk to him calmly and say, just trust me. I've done this for X amount of years. I know what I'm doing. Touch me. Just give me a chance. And I've been through that. But yeah, you, um, um, the journey for black and brown is not as easy because people don't look at you as your character at that moment. All they're looking at is your color and depending on how they're feeling about that, they come up with a negative thing in their own head instead of giving you a chance. But I have to say, all the anesthesiologists that were my bosses, surgeons to this day, I had got a lot of respect. I had to earn it. And sometimes I had to get a little bass in my voice to earn it, but I got it. And so I'm just saying, don't give up on your dreams. If you're wanting to be a nurse, a Methodist, or whatever you want to be, doctor, whatever, go for it and stick your chest out, stand flat-footed on your faith, and keep going and do it. And I am a complete witness of doing anesthesia for 38 years, done well, no incidents in my life with patients. Oh yeah, I've been through some traumas and we've lost some, but nothing that I've done to hurt anybody because I was steady reading and learning continuously. Okay, and that and that's powerful, Maggie. Um, and I mean, kudos to you, you've had an amazing career and uh, you know we'll talk a little bit about some of the things you're doing now but um what what inspired you to be the best and i mean i hear you saying continuous learning that uh has a, a definition of kaizen and um you know that's all of the great leaders and individuals are always continuously learning but i want to know a little bit about what inspired you to continue to be the best I, what could, I, I started out looking at a TV ad, Cake TV, and they were asking for, Martin K. Eby, which was a construction company, had an ad on Cake TV. I'm looking for minorities to go into nursing, and basically, I will pay for your, your nursing career, your college. I just need you to, you need to sign a, a paper that you will continue to keep a B or above grade. Come talk to me, send me a little letter about you. And that's how it got started for me wanting to be in nursing. But before that, I've always been a caregiving person. My mother was sick a lot. I was the oldest child and it, and it was seven of us. And I had to take care of her in her sickness. Then the brothers and sisters under me I've always been that type of person of just wanting to care for somebody or help somebody. I've always been that way. But I went and got all of this approved. This Martin K. Eby approved it. I went to nursing school. I was in nursing school for two years. I decided when I got out, I wanted to do critical care nursing. And that's what turned me on for being a nurse is the idea, if you're doing some critical care and you can help somebody through this critical care and hopefully save them, you may not save them all, but the idea of going into critical care nursing, that's what made me want to just do just the extra special part where you had to learn even more. I did intensive care, surgical, surgical intensive care is my first job 
out of nursing school. People say, why are you getting right out of nursing school? You're just learning about nursing and going into a surgical intensive care unit. I said, because I want to, I want to learn more. I want to get in there and there's going to be someone in there. I know it's got to teach me and I want it. And so I did that for four years, end up being an assistant head nurse in the surgical intensive care, um, um, surgical intensive care uh, unit, did that. And then I decided I wanted to move on because I needed some different hours and I found out recovery room was offering some different hours that would accommodate me at that time as a single mom being home at certain times for the girls. So I went into recovery room and in recovery room is what turned me to being interested in anesthesia. I would ask the nurse and Methodist, what is it that you need to do to be able to go to student school to do this? You're putting people to sleep, you're waking them up. What is it that you need to do? And one of the nurses, LaDonna Thompson, told me this is what you need to do and you can apply. And there's four schools in Wichita and she gave me the suggestion of the school she thought I would do best in. And that's what I did, got through that interview. They even challenged me, you are a, fe a female, you're uh, a, a, a single mom, do you think you can do this? I said, I know I can do it. And the reason why I know I can do it, cause I wanna do it bad enough. And that's how I would teach my children who have done well in their life. You want to do something, you have to want to do it bad enough. And I did. And so I got through that and got through where I am now, 38 years of anesthesia and retired and happy still, and then still helping people, still doing things. I wouldn't know I wasn't going to get out of anesthesia and just go sit down. There's no way. I was I immediately when I got done, I went to the Guadalupe Clinic here to mm -hmm. ask, can I volunteer a couple That's of days great. a week? And I did. COVID came. And so therefore I couldn't um, uh, do it anymore. But uh, I have more to tell you about what I did because I couldn't tell you that. So you're telling me you haven't actually had a retirement yet. I have not. <laughs> you don't I even know what that looks like, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it looks like because the biggest thing, Dennis and I, my husband, we had all these trips planned and then COVID came. So now you can't okay. do the trips, but you know, you, you okay, what I'm gonna do? I'm, I'm not a sitter. I've never been a sitter. My, even my mom say, sometimes sit down and be still. Okay, I'm gonna try that mom. So I, I would try that, it didn't work. My husband comes home, if I'm sitting, the first thing Dennis asks me, are you doing okay? Are you all right? Are you feeling okay? And I said, yeah, what's the deal? He said, you're sitting. Oh, okay. Bless your heart. <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay. Well, I mean, you're a woman on the move. And I do want to talk a little bit about that. You know, as we get ready to wrap up in a bit, we've been a bit off script. And that's okay because I've learned a tremendous amount. And I know that anyone that watches this can see uh, this, just your genuineness and sincerity and love for and passion for what you do and how that's carried over. So I wanna to talk to you, a member of the um, National Black Nurses Association, member of the Wichita Black Nurses Association. Yes. I mean, and I wanna hear about that because um, that's really why we're here. Again, okay. we're having just conversations and um, I wanna know about how you became a member of the Wichita Black Nurses Association 
a little bit about what you're doing there. So many exciting things that I mean, the organization is doing and you are spearheading many of those things. And talk a little bit about that. All right. Uh, I am a member of the Wichita Black Nurses Association. I've been a member since 1973. I met a lady by the name of Frankie Manning who lived here in Wichita at one point, a registered nurse. And we went, a group of us nurses, black nurses went to St. Louis to what we was told is gonna to be a conference and it will be a conference of black nurses, male, female. We went to that conference in St. Louis and was so inspired because they had the St. Louis Black Nurses Association all of, it was about six or seven of us who went to this conference. We went there, came back to Wichita and said, we want a Wichita Black Nurses Association in Wichita, Black nurses. And Frankie Manning is the one who spearheaded it in Wichita. It ended up being about six or seven of us who got it started in 1973. We, I am still a member. I'm a national member and a local member. And with that, we were in the community to help the community for nursing, from going to people's homes and taking their blood sugars, taking their blood pressure. We've been in homes and bathing people because they couldn't bathe themselves, those kinds of things. And just following up being nurses, going to different homes, that, that was back in the day when you could do that. Um, and then from that on, with this COVID happening, we still we, 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 we still were able, we couldn't get back and forth in homes like we was because of COVID, we just didn't know. So I thought, and then you start hearing about, the vaccines are out now. I got my vaccine in January, my first vaccine, because I was, in the med, I was under the medical field, so I got my vaccine in January. So I got my vaccine. When I went to go to get my vaccine, there was a line and they had it in an arena, uh, in trust arena, this big arena where people were in lines to get, medical people were in lines to get this shot of this vaccine. When I went there, I didn't, I saw maybe three people that looked like me and two of them were nurses and one was a, a, just a female that I knew uh, in another business. And when I went back for my set, and I'm thinking, where are all the people that look like me when we as Blacks are dying the quickest and getting the sickest on this COVID disease, uh, this virus? And then I knew the idea that a lot of Black and Brown was so nervous about it for various things that's happened in history and life. But I'm still thinking, okay, we are, but let's get, we need to get it done. When I went back for my second shot, there was maybe eight, maybe 10 at the most of people that looked like me getting a shot. I finally, when I got to my shot, I asked the nurse who was giving me the shot, a white nurse. I said, how many blacks have you seen or brown people come through here? And she said, not many, ma'am, not many. And I said, okay, all right, not many. This is not good. She says, not. She says, times I've been here for an eight hour shift and I've never seen one black paper person that I've given a vaccine to. So with that, I was looking at TV and saw in the South where this preacher was getting his people to get their vaccines because they were members of his church 
and he called the health department, it was somewhere in Atlanta, can you just bring the shots to our churches? And if you do, I promise you, my people will come. I picked up on that. I called the, some of the preachers in Wichita, about six of them in big churches, and said, if we can get vaccines brought to your church, could we do that and use your church, use your gyms, use your reception halls, if we can get this together, the Wichita Black Nurses? And every preacher said yes. The next thing was to call the health department to give my story. It took a minute for me to get a hold of them. Finally, I got a hold of someone and told them what we wanted to do. Can we bring these vaccines in a mobile unit to the black churches in our community? And we will start with the bigger churches first has got the biggest membership and then we'll move down to the small churches. Can we do this? And if we do, it can happen. We got a hold to the director, Adrian Byrne. She thought it was the best idea. I was talking to her about the 2nd of March and she said, when can you get started? I said, well, when can you get us started? She said, what about Sunday? That was five wow. I said, oh my God. I said, give me a minute. I need to make some phone calls. And I got on the phone and got to call in St. James Baptist Church first, Pastor, Bo uh, Patra, Pastor Broderick, called him first, and then called the registered nurse who was a member of that church, Mitch Dempsey, who was a Wichita Black nurse. And we got started March the 7th at St. James Baptist Church in Wichita, Kansas. We had over a hundred and something people who came. The problem was about them not coming down to the arena. Everybody did not have a computer to get on the computer to sign up. A lot of people couldn't stand in line that long because they had an age group in the 60s or so after that. Mm -hmm. Then a lot of people could not, they didn't know where to park or they just didn't know what to do. And so therefore right. I'm not getting the, I'm not taking it. But when we started it in the churches, people came like crazy and told their friends, their pastors would get it first. They see the pastor get it. The pastor's wife would get it. Then the, uh, Sister Jones gonna get it. If Sister Jones sings Sister Jones, uh, Sister get it. Then I'm gonna tell Sister Smith. And then it went on. It was like a domino effect. We have done close to, to 2000 vaccines. Whereas when they were doing them at the health department, I think they might've had a total of maybe 40 or 50 between black and brown folk. And we have done close uh -huh. to 2000 and we're still going. And it was wow. all about caring. It was all uh -huh. about looking at the lines and not seeing anybody that looked like me and being told, yes, it's a vaccine that's gonna help us, but people are scared. And with that, we did education. I wrote up paperwork about COVID and diabetes, COVID and this. We wrote up FYI about uh, COVID, what it means, what it does, how it works, how you, why you need it and, and, and what it, it does. I wrote up a three page sheet of myths, of all the myths that people say, this is why I'm not taking it. I wrote up a three page myth and then quoted the, uh, the uh, New England Journal and quoted doctors, quoted the health department, quoted Dr. Fossey, who uh, everybody believed what he was saying, and I still do. 
because it's all about the science. We did education. We did flyers. We went to beauty shops. We went to barber shops, letting them know the vaccines are at church so-and-so from this time to this time on this day. And they just kept going to bigger church after bigger church after bigger church. We were so impressive with what we were doing. The governor found out about what the Wichita black nurses were doing and governor Laura Kelly sent a email to me or rather her secretary did. We want to meet you black nurses to see what you're doing and can we make this happen in other places other than Wichita, Kansas. And that is exactly how it went and we are proud to be doing it. We now have been called to do things. Juneteenth is happening June 19th. This Saturday, we as black nurses will be at the park building of Mac Adams Park from 11 to three, giving vaccines. You have a choice of a Pfizer, you have a choice of Johnson and Johnson, and we will be giving you education on it, paperwork, and we don't give it to you where you pick it up off a table, we put it in your hand. I told them, don't lay anything on the table for someone. We're going to soon go pick this stuff up. Someone's assignment is as they're walking out the door, they're getting this paper about how these vaccines work, what you need to expect when they work and why they work and on and on and on. And we are not done. Wichita Black Nurses, we, because of that, have added 24 new members to our organization because they have are seeing what we're doing these are black nurses and not only that i have to throw it into my sisters that don't look like me my my vanilla sisters they found out what the black nurses were doing and certified registered nurse anesthetists to registered nurses to nurses assistants to medical assistants they start calling us what can we do to help you we want to play on your playground so this has stimulated a rave in Wichita, Kansas. We've had counselors, we had community me, uh, members to, to, to join the bandwagon. Every channel, channel three, 12 and 10 newspapers, we have had a write-up about. And everywhere we go, we will always see a camera. I am sure on this Saturday, we will see TV channels. We already know Benita Gooch with The Voice, she will be there. She's already posted it in her newspaper about us being there. So these are the things we do as nurses. These are the things that are passionate in my heart. Help the people. You know, help yourself first. And that my helping myself first was going down there, nervous as I could be, getting that shot. And I put my second shot on Facebook where I let them see me get the shot. I was very transparent about how I felt the next day. I did have some symptoms, headache, not feeling well, achy of my arms, my, my muscle. I told the truth, but I told them it lasted two days. COVID will last for a long time everybody get the shots and i'm steady posting on my page where we're doing shots what yeah, time yeah. we're doing them and come so yeah, yeah it's all about caring that's great and we can also find out the dates that wichita black nurses are um are doing the shots as well and yes. what your organization is doing and that website we'll make sure we put it below but uh, that's wichita nurses um dot org and our wichita black nurses.org and so before we i guess just sign off today you know 
How can people become a member of the WBNA? How can we do that? I'm assuming it's on the website where you can have become a member, uh, correct? And again, we'll put yes. those links there. But how else, um, if we don't have web, uh, a computer or something, how can we access uh, the Black nurses? Well, I tell you what, you we can go old school and call a telephone number way back in the day where people use telephones. You know, okay. we can do that. And, okay. and I'm willing to give my phone number out. Uh, well, we won't Thomas. give your phone number out, but we'll put in the, yeah. the chat there and uh, yeah. some contact information. But I think, um, you know, your your story really, really inspired. We might have to have a part two of this conversations with class. It's just so very interesting because you've turned into this, uh, I guess you've always been innovative and, and a go-getter, but uh, you're almost uh, become a, a COVID consultant, but most importantly, um, a, a nursing consultant because you're you're infusing uh, just experience and passion and will into uh, people that need to be inspired because we always talk about the patient but sometimes we forget about the nurses and what they're going to and I really liked how you said you were transparent about how you feel and I think that sometimes that's very difficult as us as the black and brown community you know, a lot of times we're raised to not show emotion or uh, raised to, you know, take a back seat. And, and, and as, as nurses, we are, we're, we're taught to, you know, that's our craft is to put others before our own selves. And, um, you know, I think that you have really just, again, inspired us all. And I'm grateful that you spent some time with us to share your story. Thank you. And I'm so excited about what the WBNA, I mean, definitely, if not the most active chapter in the National Black Nurses Association, yeah. one that's very worthy. You guys are all over the news nationwide and in the state, and you're really spearheading some amazing things. So I'm proud of you and I'm proud of the organization, and I'm just grateful to have spent some time with you. And, and so again, we're going to sign off here and um, Margaret Thompson, and if you want to just say a, a goodbye and a little inspiration quickly before we go, you can lead us out of here. All right. My inspiration is tell your family, your friends, get this vaccine. We need it, guys. We as the black and brown people, like I said, we get the sickest, we die the quickest. Get the vaccine. I tell you, it is a must. I believe it was a gift. And I and I'm 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 standing flat footed on my faith. I believe it was a gift why we we it was it was put here for us to have. We had black people working on this vaccine. We had brown people, white people, yellow people make it. Get this vaccine. All these myths throw them out the back door and think about you getting this vaccine to take care of you. And if you were going to be around any of your family members, elderly, that you don't want them getting this COVID. It is no joke. I've seen what COVID looks like. It is not pretty. It is not pretty. I say, be well, take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones, be kind and get that vaccine. And I'm talking vaccine for teens, vaccines for teens. Thank All you. All right, thank you so much. And uh, we're signing off. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. 
Hopefully you guys liked today's episode. My goal is to be of help to you in making even the slightest change in your life through this podcast. And if that happens, then that's achievement enough for me. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Make sure you don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. That's very important. And also connect with me on my social media pages. And if you want to know more about me, please visit TanikaBruce.com. Now, there's always three things that you need to do in between now and the next episode. One, don't forget to share it with your friends and family. Two, know when the next episode will be. And number three, win your day.